It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. CD. Yeah, I've got to uh, uh, put it up here on the uh, computer in a second here and find that really easy. Hello, AJ. 
song and this is I've got to play this one from the uh, from my phone so it ain't going to be very loud but I hope that you'll be able to hear it well and then we'll go in prayer this is this is based upon song 122 and very relevant to today's sermon and the name of this song in song 122 is I was glad when they said unto me let us go unto the house of the Lord Jerusalem, 
Father, good morning. Happy new month, Father. Thank you for getting us through the month of July, and thank you for getting us through the fourth month of your year as well. Thank you, Father, that this week is almost finished. Thank you for safe travel for Sister Kiki. Thank you that we'll be going on in the radio in Cincinnati next Friday, a week from today. Thank you, Father, for everything that you are doing, for what you have done, for what you're doing, and for what you're about to do. Thank you for your faithfulness and wonderfulness. Thank you for giving us your truth and your light. Thank you for teaching us the truth and calling us into yourself. Praise your holy name. Father, we pray for 
special help today as some people gather extremely early in the morning out of bed as others it is late at night almost bedtime for all of us we pray for energy and strength and help in focusing upon you and upon your word and upon your spirit we ask lord for help worshiping you pray for special anointment on this service from beginning to end even before we speak and after we finish speaking pray lord that the measure of your spirit in us would grow increasingly strong and greater measure we praise your holy name of jesus christ ask that your will be done in this service and your word to not return void nor vain but shall accomplish the purpose of which forfeit is being sent from heaven in jesus holy name so be it amen praise jesus praise jesus let's start in hebrews chapter 10. hebrews 10 and for people that might be listening for the first time we are reading from a translation of the bible called the alpha and omega bible it is a restoration of the original scriptures you are using the oldest bible manuscripts found on this planet including the dead sea scrolls and other ancient manuscripts it is a restoration of the original scriptures going back to the earliest manuscripts possible so that we can get the accuracy of translation not based upon the traditions of religions not based upon american religion or western modern babylonian religions or denominations of mankind not based upon the pentecostal church or the catholic church or the catholic church or this church or that church of mankind but rather based upon the earliest manuscripts of the bible that are available to us this is a work in progress and we'll be hopefully releasing the uh the new paperbacks within the next couple of weeks hopefully god willing and i will be sending out a notification to let everybody know when that is available so if you're not yet subscribed to the notifications you can easily subscribe for free in your email or text message and you can find that at i saw the light ministries.com today the topic is forsake not gathering forsake not gathering or forsake not the assembling of ourselves together <clears throat> <clears throat> and we're going to god willing read this entire chapter of hebrews 10 so we can see the entire context and receive all the possible instructions and edifications that we can receive today we want to be careful not to just take uh, a scripture out of context we don't want to do that so it's important to get the context and there are so many doctrines that we are raised with or taught through the internet or taught by local culture 
customs and traditions of mankind or from family or friends and so forth that are wrong. So it is an opportunity as we read these scriptures to uh, digress a little bit, maybe even get off topic a little bit when necessary to explain other doctrines as well. So please forbear with me, be patient with me as I do these things because as we come across them, we have to explain everything, just about everything, because almost everything that's been taught in religion is wrong. The Bible teaches that. Revelation 12, verse 9 says that the devil has deceived the entire world. The whole world is deceived. So everything you've been taught is wrong for the most part. We have to study these scriptures. In Hebrews 10, verse 1, for the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices. What law? By the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year. They can never, by those same sacrifices, make perfect those who draw near. Amen. So, a lot of people will twist every verse in the Bible that mentions the word law. And they would even twist this to say we don't have to keep the seventh day, we don't have to worship on the first day of the month, the new moons like we are today, we don't have to keep the holy days, because all the law is in vain or done away with. But what law is it talking about? is the sacrifices. The Bible interprets itself. It's not talking about the law of the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments is not the sacrifices. They're entirely two different laws, two different sets of laws. According to the Bible, according to what the Bible says, there are two different sets of laws. So this is the set of law contained within the sacrifices, which we call the Old Covenant. Uh, that part of the Old Covenant and they can never make perfect those who draw near. The sacrifices cannot perfect us. The animal sacrifices of the blood of goats and lamb and sheep, those cannot perfect us who draw near to him. Amen. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, those that draw near, worshiping, when you worship, you are to draw near unto God, because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had conscious, consciousness of sins. In other words, after you are clean, you don't have to remember your sins, and they should never be brought back up to you again. Amen. You should have no consciousness of your sins if they are gone, vanished into thin air, amen, never to be held accountable to you again. But the sacrifices that were daily and weekly and yearly, they would constantly remind you of sin, amen. But Jesus offered one time his body, which was the perfect sacrifice without sin, which proves that he is God, because the scriptures proclaim that every man Every man has sinned, and yet Jesus never sinned. 
proves that he is God. And only by that perfect soul, the flesh, the blood, the body, the naked body of that soul, only his flesh could save us. Amen. It was the blood and the body of his flesh died, was perfect, and slaughtered for us. Verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is also impossible, I would say, for the blood of humans or prophets. The blood of Daniel could never save us. The blood of Jeremiah's and Ezekiel's could never save us. The blood of human cannot save us, but it had to be the flesh of God. Verse 5, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus speaking there that his spirit, the greater measure of his spirit throughout the universe, which he submitted to and called the Father, appear to him a fleshly body as a sacrifice and offering, but not the kind that he did not desire, not the offerings of animals. Verse 6, In hope burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, To do your will, O Theos. Jesus submitted himself to the greater measure of his spirit throughout the universe. Verse 8, after saying above, sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. That part, that set of law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. The second covenant replacing the first covenant. Verse 10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. No more animal sacrifices ever needed. Verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, Set down at the right hand of Theos. Now again, I have to pause to explain very quickly. I've said it a million times, but we do have new listeners today, so it's very important that I quickly digress only shortly here. People say, well, if he's at the right hand of God, how can he be God and how can he be the Father? And the reason they say that is because they think of God as not a spirit, but as a six-foot man in heaven, another six-foot man right beside him. And they even think of even another six-foot man right beside him. That's the way they think. That's a very carnal, very limited, very fleshly mind frame when they think of God being a six-foot man on a throne and another six-foot man right next to him, and then maybe even a third or fourth or fifth or a hundred. That's a very carnal, sinful way of thinking. When truly, God is spirit. Amen. And 
the earth is his footstool. And even the earth cannot contain all of him. And if the earth could not contain all of him, as the scriptures say, then neither could Mary, his mom, neither could Mary contain all of God. Yet the scriptures proclaim in the book of Timothy that God did come in the flesh. And John 1 proclaims that God came in the flesh. We have more than one scripture that confirms that. If God came in the flesh, but yet Mary could not contain all of God, then it is only part of God that came down upon this planet. Amen. So the part of God that came through Mary is what was in the flesh. But the rest of God that dwells on every planet, every moon, every solar system, every galaxy, that part did not come down. And that greater measure of himself that did not come down is what Jesus prayed to, submitted to, worshipped, and went back to heaven to sit on the right-hand throne of, which is more symbolic than literal. So, once we think of God as a great spirit that exists throughout all of the universe, every inch of the entire universe, God is present at all times, which is the only way that he would be able to hear every prayer all at the same time and see everything and hear everything is only is, only if he does dwell within every inch, every centimeter, every millimeter of the entire universe, even in the rock, even in the water, even in the grave, he exists. So stop limiting God. Amen. Then we continue in verse 13. Waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Waiting for the lake of fire. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Ghost, which is the measure of him that was in his flesh and present within his flesh when he died and then rose from the grave, is called a ghost because he rose from the grave. That holy ghost, not evil ghost, but that Holy Ghost also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind, I will write. Amen. That is a promise for paradise for the future, for the new heavens and the new earth. That is not really talking about now, although it is already in effect now through the new covenant to a small degree. He does already write his ways and his laws on our hearts and minds, but the primary fulfillment of that verse is not now but in the new heavens and the new earth. 
and verse 17, and their sins and their lawless works, I will remember no more, which also is in effect now, but even more so. Once the lick of fire, the presence of God, devours this earth, and we enter the next realm, the next new heavens and the new earth. Verse 18, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any altering for sin. Amen. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way, which he, and I can't pronounce that word, but you can read it for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Now, where is the holy place that we enter. Now, at that time, in the context, it's talking about a temple building where they sacrificed animals. And the holy place then, in a place inside the temple that you could not normally go, that was prohibited. And only the high priest could go on in there only on the Day of Atonement. That was the holy of the holies. And only by the blood of Jesus can we go in there behind the veil, through the veil, verse 20, through the veil. And that veil is not only a curtain, but symbolically the veil is the flesh because it broke in two. That the flesh of Jesus was broken, cut, pierced, so that we can enter into something that we could not enter before. A place in the presence of God that we could not enter before. And only through the body and blood of Jesus Christ could we now enter into that closeness. We people who draw near to the presence of God can only go through the door of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And verse 20 is that. And verse 21, and since we have a great priest, Jesus, over the house of Theos, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, memory of sins, guiltiness, and our bodies washed with pure water. Hearts sprinkled. But our bodies washed, baptized with pure water. Let us hold very tight the confession of our hope. Let's read that again. Let us hold very tight the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. So let us consider one another provoke unto love and to good works. I'd like for you to underline the phrase, let us consider one another. Because that is going to be relevant to the topic today. Let us consider one another. To provoke unto love and to, to good works. Verse 25 is the key verse of the sermon today not forsaking our own assembling together, as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another. 
to underline encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice that we're drawing near to God, but there is also a day drawing near. Amen. It's interesting. So we are to be drawing near constantly every day, every week, every month, every year, until we see him face to face. Amen? So we're drawing near spiritually, but time is clicking down. And so we're going to be drawing near actually physically to him. Amen. One of these days. Now there's a a connection between those two verses where we underline those words. Let us consider one another and encourage one another. Notice how those two phrases that we underlined is to the left and to the right or above and below that do not forsake gathering together. So again, as I said before, we come together to worship God, to hear his word, to worship him, to obey him, to serve him, to keep the commandments together, but also to help one another, to be here for one another. Amen. We should not forsake gathering together because it's commanded that we gather, and we'll even see that in a few minutes. And even this is a command to gather. Amen. But we'll look at another verse as well that proves that we're also commanded to gather. But this verse alone also proves that. But it's not just by commandment. It's not just by commandment that we worship the Lord and we gather together. But rather we we acknowledge or should be acknowledging, hey, guess what? I am part of something bigger than myself. I am part of the body of Christ. And I have a work to do, a service to do, not just work, a service to do, to serve other people, to help other people, to encourage other people, to help sing the songs, to help set up uh, the worship service location, to help set up the chairs or whatever, the music or whatever, to help play music, to help sing music, to help do sign language, to help welcome people in the door, to help people have a songbook, uh, whatever, or to help in the parking, whatever the situation may be. The scriptures say that each one of us has something to contribute. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. I'm just going to read that because it's written on the wall right here. I'm not turning to it. Scripture on the wall right here. We have written. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, that when you come together, every one of you have a song, a doctrine, a tongue, a revelation, or interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. So one person has a song, another person has a doctrine, another person has a tongue, another person has a revelation, another person has an interpretation. So somebody might have a dream, somebody might have a vision, somebody might have just a Bible verse that was very important to them that week that they feel like that they should share. Somebody might have a, a little 
tune on a harmonica or on a keyboard or a, a new song that they wrote to share or a testimony of a miracle or even a prayer request or even a report, praise report of a fulfilled prayer request. So many different things that we can bring to the table to encourage one another. And then also to provoke unto good works. Amen. When we come together, we can provoke one another to good works in our conversations, in our fellowship, to say, you know, uh, how are you doing on your exercise? And how are you doing on this? How are you doing on that? And be like, man, you've got to run faster. You've got to work harder. You've got, you can do better. I know you can do better. And provoke one another to good works. If we are truly brothers and sisters, we should be able to talk to each other as brothers and sisters. You know brothers and sisters can be cruel and very provoking. Of course, we're not talking about a cruel provoking, but a provoking that encourages people to work harder, do better on their goals, which is what friends and family should be for. Amen. Let us consider one another for that and encourage one another in all these things. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So we do need to be provoking one another more, not less, and gathering for worship services more, not less. Time is short. Time is clicking down. Jesus is coming. We got to be ready. He has got to be ready, your brother. She, your sister's got to be ready. Don't you want to see them ready? Don't you want to look across the wedding table and see your brother and sister sitting there with you? So we, if we really love one another, we should be honest with one another and say, hey, man, you can do better. No? We should be provoking one another if we really love each other. To not provoke is not love. Amen. And verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, after having accepted the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Why does it say that when it just got done saying, do not forsake assembling yourselves together? Duh. Why else? For what other reason? There is no other possibility. The only reason it would say that immediately after it says, do not forsake gathering together, is if you do forsake gathering together, you are sinning willfully. You're willfully saying, I'd rather go play football than to worship God. I'd rather uh, go to work and earn physical fleshly, sinful, stinking, dirty, germ-filled money than to gather with my family, my brothers, my sisters, encourage and provoke them to get to heaven. You are willfully sinning, willfully rejecting God's commandment, and it is a commandment to gather together on the seventh day and the new moon and the holy days. You are willfully sinning. When you do not go to the worship services, 
Now, of course, I understand and God understands that for most of us, most of you listening to this, you do not have a local worship services uh, outside your house. I know that. God knows that. God understands that. But we're still fulfilling the commandment when we gather together as we are today in spirit, in mind, at the same time, on the same day, to worship together across the Internet. You hear my voice right now. I know that you're present because you're signed in to the uh, radio station. You're signed in, so I can see that you're there. I might not can see your face, but I know that you're there. I can see your name there on the computer right here, right now. And that encourages me. It does encourage me. When I look down, I see AJ's name up there and Kiki's name there. That encourages me a lot. And so you are fulfilling that commandment to gather together. We can gather together in different ways. Of course, it's God's will that if there was a local gathering of truth in Jesus' name, if we were to establish or if God was to establish a congregation in your local area, that would be his will. That is his preference that we have to deal with the reality of what we have today. Amen. But a lot of people will use the excuse. A lot of people do use the excuse. I have no local gathering. Therefore, I cannot keep the commandment. I cannot keep the seventh day. I cannot listen to the sermons. And all those excuses are bullcrap. Amen? Bull hockey, everything. Watch yourself, Pastor Tim. But, so yeah, they, they, all those excuses. When, hey, even if you're not listening live, with modern technology, you can listen to the sermon that just was on the air just a few hours ago or from the last week. Amen. So really, there's no excuse. You can still gather together with us, even if it's not live. Even if I won't see your name pop up on the computer at the time, God sees and God knows. And the spiritual realm does know that you are there on that day, on the holy day, on the new moon day, on the Sabbath day, even as we are gathering, if we can't, even if we don't see each other. And even if we was here all locally in the same building, we're not looking at one another during the services. You know, you, you look at me because I'm the speaker. I occasionally glance at you because you're part of the congregation. But as far as among the congregation, y'all don't look at each other until it's all done and over with, right? So what's the difference? Even if you're listening uh, to a different time zone, to the broadcast from last week, as long as it is on the appointed day, and the Bible calls it appointed, appointed days. 
So as long as you are worshiping on the appointed day, then you are gathering with us in heart, in mind, in spirit, in obedience, and the same Holy Ghost that is in me and the people that are here locally, that same Holy Ghost is within the other true followers of Jesus, wherever you may be, whatever time zone you live in, as long as you are obedient to him and fully surrendered to him. Amen. So this is very important to understand that if we do not gather together, if we do not gather over the Internet, if we do not gather at an appointed time, it says, having accepted the knowledge of the truth. Who is that talking about? You and I. Amen? Everybody that Jesus has brought to this ministry, you have accepted at least some of the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, we're held accountable to that. And there remains no more sacrifice of sins if we are willfully slapping God in the face, saying, I don't want to obey you. The money is more important, or I can't do it, making excuses. In verse 29, verse 28, verse 27, I'll find where I'm at here in a minute. Verse 27, but a terrifying, terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries, those that are against God. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's the old law that is done away with. But how much more severe the punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the son of Theos and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and has in, 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 uh, insulted the spirit of grace? People insult grace when they say, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to keep the law. I don't have to keep the commandments. I don't have to keep the Sabbath day. I don't have to listen to the sermons. Because grace, because grace, because grace, because mercy, because there's no law. I can do whatever I want to do. There's no requirement. That's insulting grace. Amen. All these Babylonian preachers that believe only in grace and faith, and that's the only thing they believe in, that's an insult to grace. They're insulting the, the grace of God. That's what they're doing when they deny the seventh day. All these Sunday churches, all of these Sunday churches do not keep the assembling of themselves together on the appointed time. Even if they are gathering Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, even if they gather all six days of the week and don't gather at the appointed time, the time that God appointed, then they are not keeping the commandment to gather together at the appointed time. And the reason that they do so is because grace. Because they twist the scriptures and don't understand the Bible and don't want to understand the Bible. Amen. They have heard the truth. 
They have heard that there are millions of people on this planet that keep Saturday as the Sabbath. They know that Jesus kept it. They know that Israel always kept Saturday as the Sabbath. They're not ignorant of these things. But they willfully break the commandment, insulting grace. Amen. And verse 30, for we know him who said, vintage is mine. God is angry. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And not only Babylon will he judge, but also his people will he judge. Because if you have come to the knowledge of the truth, the truth, and still rejected it, and still made excuses, and still did not trust God to provide for you, and still said, I have got to work. I've got to work. I might get fired. I might lose my job. I've got to take care of my wife. I've got to take care of my kids. I've got to move. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But if you willfully use those excuses after you have found the truth and God has brought the truth to you and God has set it down right in front of you and you reject it, God will repay. God will repay. This is the scriptures. This is not Pastor Tim being territorial. This is scripture. Amen. Verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living fields. This chapter started out with talking about Jesus coming to do away with the sacrifices. That's grace. That's mercy. But because of that, people say we don't have to keep any law, which they insult grace. And this verse ends out with all this, or is coming to this point of the chapter, talking about God being angry and is going to punish his people and judge his people. So if anybody points out part of this chapter to you to try to prove that a law is done away with and try to apply that toward the seventh day or the holy days. <laughs> Say, hey, 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 wait a minute. Let's finish reading this chapter. Let's finish reading this chapter and see how your grace that law is done away with later on, the same chapter says that you are insulting grace and that God is angry, and that we must worship, that we must gather together for worship, but when, 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 when? Read other verses of the Bible. This same Hebrews, just six chapters earlier, talks about gathering on what day? The seventh day. Hebrews 4, verse 9. So I want you to put a footnote right next to verse 25, maybe at the end of the verse would have the most room, verse 25, right in there, Hebrews 4, verse 9, the Sabbath, or the seventh day. That way, somebody reads this chapter to you out of context, and you can point out, tell them, let's finish reading the chapter, and let's cross-reference. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 9, where it says, the Sabbath remains 
to the people of God. Amen. And when it says to the people of God, the Sabbath remains to the people of God, then look at verse 30 here in Hebrews 10. It says, judge his people. His people are the people of God, ain't they? So that also refers back to that same verse, doesn't it? His people. Amen. Then let's catch up where we left off here. Verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, meaning coming to the truth, your eyes opened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. If you have come to the truth and you've not endured suffering, then you've not come to the truth. Or you've not surrendered to the truth, one or the other. Amen? Because once you have come to the truth and been enlightened, your eyes are open, then you will endure sufferings, conflicts of suffering. Verse 33, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated, gathering together, partaking as one body the sufferings of Christ. Verse 34, for you show sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great repay. Be content. If you do not, if you do not gather together, if you do not keep the holy days and the new moons, you're throwing away your confidence. You are forsaking the assembly. You are forsaking the body of Christ. You are forsaking your brothers and your sisters. You are forsaking your pastor, and you are forsaking the Lord. <coughs> and you are throwing away. Your confidence, which has a great repay, vengeance is the Lord's. Do you have need of endurance? Staying, sticking in there with the congregation, sticking in there with the truth, sticking in there with full surrender to Christ, so that when you have done the will of theos, done his will, kept his commandments, that you may receive what was promised. We are promised a reward, a great reward. For yet in a little while, he who is coming, the day of draw near, he who is coming will come and will not delay. He will no longer delay. Let my righteous one, us who do gather, who do keep the commandments, who do not fall away, we who are not, uh, let my righteous one to live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Shrinking back is not drawing near. Shrinking back is the opposite of drawing near. Shrinking back is going in the opposite direction. You should never go backwards. Amen. My soul has no pleasure in those that go backwards, that shrink back, that do not continue to draw near, that forsakes the assembly and forsakes the truth. But we are not of those. We're not of those who shrink back to destruction but to those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Amen. So these are some tough words. 
encouraging and provoking us. These words are provoking us. It's doing what it takes. <laughs> it's doing. This, this chapter does exactly what it tells us to do. It provokes us. You've got to go to church. Amen. And you're going to church by listening to these sermons. Amen. Now, as I said, God's perfect will is for congregations to be established. And that's why I did a long time ago ask different ones of you to, will you let people come and gather in your home or in a park in your town with you or somewhere with you if people were to come? If people were to get in touch with me in your local area, could you gather with them? Would you be able to open your doors of your house to them or meet them in a local park or somewhere or rent a building or something? Because it is God's will that we gather in person if possible. And if not possible, God understands. But if possible, if the people do come, you should be willing to meet with other people in your area. You should be willing to. If people do, do come up, when people, when Jesus brings more people, and he will be bringing more people. As time goes along, we see more and more people coming to the ministry all the time. Most of them fall away. But some do stay. Amen. We're not computer chips. We need human interaction in person. We need to see one another when we smile, when we frown, when we're disappointed, when we're frustrated, all these human emotions that you cannot really discern as well over the Internet. We're not computer chips. We need human interaction so that we can really be there for one another, encourage one another, and provoke one another in a much better way. We're not computer chips, and we do need one another. And it is God's perfect will that if it is possible, then we should be obeying these scriptures, even in the flesh, in person, face to face with human beings, if possible. Until this modern generation, dysfunctional families, dysfunctional people, was the result of dominant women and weak men. Absent men, stepfathers, abusive men or weak men or absent men, and very dominant controlling women. Single mothers and so forth. That was the reason for most dysfunctional families and people growing up homosexual or all kinds of dysfunctions and problems and sins in life. Until this modern generation that we're in right now, this generation, 
Now we have a worse, even worse than that. Even though it's still true that dominant women and weak men and absent men is still a reason for dysfunction, dysfunctional upbringing, although that's still true, we now have even a greater threat to society, and that is computers and the lack of interaction with human beings. Computers causes a lot of problems. Yes, we can use it for the glory of God in gathering together of the elect for worship services and fellowship. We can do that, yes. And yes, it is how you use it. But at the same time, the existence of computers and phones and internet and electricity and electronics to the degree of the technology today and the addiction to such things is at the same time a huge threat to humanity and to the church. It is of all the false teachings, conspiracy theories, foolishness, great degrees, extreme degrees of lies and deceptions and traps and snares of the devil, multifold, multitudes, multifold, times multifold. And is a great reason for dysfunctional families, dysfunctional marriages, and dysfunctional people. Computers have replaced human companionship and human relationships. Computers have replaced girlfriends, wives, and human conception. Computers have replaced a lot of our humanity. Video games, movies, and the Internet have made men and women and people not care whether or not they have sex, get married, have a girlfriend, or any of these things. People are now not even heterosexual. There are people on this earth that are neither homosexual nor heterosexual. They are asexual. They are not sexual at all. We now have, I believe, the largest population of virgins ever recorded in all of human history. And it's not because of high standards. It is not because of holiness. But rather it is because of a lack of interest in the other sex, because how computers have deprogrammed the human mind and deprogrammed humanity. We are now walking robots. I never saw, never thought that I would see this day come. But now, when they are implanting chips and robotic arms and everything to the human flesh, they no longer need to transplant a computer chip in the brain to make them act like robots because they are already robots. They don't have to do anything inside the head physically because that's already been done through the corruption of the Internet and computers and phones and so forth. 
Now all they need to do is just add some electronics to the arms and legs is all they need to do these days. Computers are our worst enemy. I have to use computers to get the gospel of the kingdom unto all the nations before the end comes. I'm sure even the two witnesses will use whatever electronic means that are available to them, radio, TV, internet, whatever. But there has got to be a limit. Whenever possible, we need to be gathering together in person, hugging one another, shaking hands, seeing the frowns and the smiles and the laughter and the tears, being there to touch one another, to support one another, to help one another in a way that is impossible to the same magnitude across the Internet. Right now, we do the best that we can do over the distance of thousands of miles. But for people that live much closer within the same state, same town, the same nation, God frowns very intent upon people who forsake the assembling of themselves together in person when they could do so. For people that live in the same town and refuse to walk inside this building because they're upset with me over chewing gum, or because I would not give them somebody's phone number because of privacy laws. They are childish, immature, prideful, stubborn, disobedient, rebellious. Amen. And people who live in the same nation who will not give up their devil-worshipping moms and their devil-worshipping husbands and their devil-worshipping boyfriend, girlfriend that they're having sex with but not really truly in the eyes of God married to in that particular case. God frowns upon your God, your idol, that you refuse to give up. And for many people, it's false doctrine is their whore that they're laying with. Many people, their false doctrines, their false churches, and their false pastors, they are the whores that they're committing adultery with and and refuse to give up and refuse to come and be part of the body of Christ even at the appointed time, even on the Internet, they will not even gather. Excuses, excuses. Excuses. We know, I won't turn there, but I'd like for you to write it down in your notes. We know that in the book of James, which is the very next book after Hebrews, James 5 verse 14 says that if there's any sick among you, you're the call for the elders of the church to be anointed. We have read that a million times. Amen. 
So we know that verse by heart. We don't have to turn there. The book is inside your hearts. We just read that. The word of God is in our hearts and in our minds. We know that verse. Amen. One of these days, you may lose your Bible. It may get taken away from you. You need the word of God living inside you. Amen. But how can you call for the elders of the church to anoint you if there are no local elders to come to your house to anoint you? It is needful, when possible, to be with a local congregation. That is God's perfect will. Again, people like AJ and Kiki in Australia and South uh, uh, Korea, God understands their situation because there is nobody, no one, that loves God in their towns and their communities that are willing to come and, and gather together and worship God. Nobody else in their entire town loves God. God knows the situation. But AJ and Kiki, they do gather with us as a family, as a body of Christ, they do gather with us. And they have not forsaken the assembly as many have, many, many people all across the world have forsaken the assembling of themselves together. For those that are listening or will be listening who have no local congregation of truth, I invite you and God invites you and provokes you and encourages you. I've been saying this over and over in different ways for a long, long time. I'm trying to provoke people to get involved in the ministry. Do more than just listen. But actually email me and write me and get involved and participate in the social media group on MeWe. If it doesn't work on one browser, try a different browser. If it doesn't work on one computer, try a different computer. I think their website works great myself. I don't see the problem. And wherever possible, if you have fully surrendered to Jesus and the truth, if you have committed to keeping the seventh day and the holy days and the new moons in the truth to Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus, and you have surrendered to him, then you need to be baptized. And if you are already baptized in Babylon by a person that believed in Christmas or Easter or the Trinity or uh, the preacher of rapture lie or any kind of the other fairy tales, then you need to be re-baptized. And we offer that over the Internet because we are people of faith. It is Jesus that baptizes you, not me. But it needs to be done through the administration of the church. It needs to be done through me because I don't know any other pastor to recommend, but if I knew another pastor to recommend, I would definitely recommend them. In Zimbabwe, if people were to come to the truth, I would call up or text, I would WhatsApp to Meekness, and I would say, Meekness, can you go and baptize them in Uganda? 
Maintenance, can you go baptize them in Zimbabwe? Maintenance, can you go baptize them in South Africa? And I know that maintenance would do so. He would. But nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants to enter into the household of God. Nobody wants to draw near to God. Amen. But if you are a person that wants to draw near to God and you're willing to surrender to him and keep his commandments and his appointed days and put him first rather than money, rather than job, rather than husband, rather than wife, rather than kids, rather than mommy, rather than daddy, then do so and slide on the ring on your finger and say, I do, Lord. Through baptism, that's how you do it. It's through baptism and not through Babylon. And start allowing people if they are willing to come. But that's one of the first steps is just to say, Pastor Tim, I want to be baptized. We baptize you. The next step is, are you willing to allow people to come to your house or meet you in a local park or rent a local building or something? Meet in the car garage, meet in the attic, meet in the basement, meet in the hole in the ground. I don't care. Just meet. And if you're willing to meet somebody, then the next time somebody in your local area contacts me that's also willing to come to the truth, I'd be like, hey, you two, y'all get together. But it starts with a simple agreement, even if there's nobody there yet. If we can just simply all agree together in the truth, then God will bring the people eventually at the right time. And there will be people. Read the Bible. It talks about it. A great multitude. There will be people. It's coming. Hold on to the confidence of your faith. Let's go to the book of Prophets, the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2. Joel 2. My copy is page 173. Page 173 in the Book of Prophets. Joel 2, verse 15 and 17. Context is the end days, this generation. Joel 2, verse 15. Sound the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Proclaim a solemn service. Possible that word solemn there might need to be retranslated formal. Check that out, Robert. If you send me a note, please. It may already be done in PDF. You can check it out in PDF. And it may not even need it. But, um, Robert sent a note for me to check that out. But proclaim a service. Gather together. Blow the horn. Sound the alarm. Sanctify a fast and proclaim a gathering together, a service. Gather the people. 
sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the infants at the breast, and let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. In the porch and the altar, let the priests that minister to Jesus cry and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and give not your heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them, lest they should say among the heathen, Where is their theos? So in other words, in the end times, we need to be gathering together, praying for help, for mercy, for grace, for protection. Uh, not less, but more as the day draws near. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves as some is. And even more so, Hebrews 10 said, even more so as the day draws near. Not less often, but more often. We just started worshiping on the first day of the month recently, a few months ago. And that's an increase. And we didn't always keep Hanukkah, but now we are. We didn't, we didn't always keep Purim, but now we are. So increasingly, every year, pretty much, I think, just about every year, we are increasing how often we come to services. Amen? We started Purim. We started Hanukkah. We started New Year's over a process of the last three years or so. And this is the way it should be, learning and growing in the truth rather than being stiff-necked and stuck in what we think we know. Amen? And let's go to one last place, Leviticus in the Book of Law. Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, verse 1. 23, verse 1. Jesus spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Jezreel, and you shall say it to them. If he asked us of Jesus, which you shall call holy, summoned, Assemblies. These are my fiestas, not the fiestas of Moses, not the law of Moses, but of Jesus. They are his parties, his fiestas, his holy days, his celebrations, his gatherings, and they are summoned just like a court order paper. We have received summons that we must appear before the king. Verse 3, six days shall you work. You don't have to work all six days, but it's just saying that there are six days that you can work. And then, but on the seventh day is the rest day, the rest day, not a rest day. It is the appointed time. A holy summoned assembly to Jesus, gathering to him, not to Moses. He should do uh, not do any work. It is a rest day to Jesus in all of your dwellings. 
and so forth and so forth. And then it talks about the other holy days, but it starts out with the seventh day. We know from other scriptures also about the new moons. And you can read, if you've not yet learned about the new moons, there is an article and a sermon, both. If you search for it, if seek and you shall find, they're there, you know. We have a sermon and we have an article about the new moons. There is a search feature on every page of the ministry website. It's easy to find stuff. And I don't mind if people ask me questions. Questions are good. But I really encourage you that before you ask me a question, seek in the scriptures, in prayer, and on the website. There is that search box on every page. Whatever you're asking a question about, search for it to see if I've already written something about it. And look for the scriptures. Uh, look in the concordance. Look in the websites for that particular scripture that you may have a question about. Cross-reference it with other scriptures. Study the Bible, because I'm not always going to be here for you. And then once you do all of that, if you're still confused or have a question, you still don't understand, Feel free, please, please, ask me questions. And especially if we are in disagreement on something, please at least give me a chance to provide additional scriptures and additional uh, information to help us come into unity of doctrine. That's God's will. For us to come into unity of doctrine it is not God's will for you to fall away from where God has brought you. That is not God's will. His will is for me and you to come into agreement based upon His word. And I cannot do that, and you cannot do that if you would not give me an opportunity to address the issue. But first, you should pray, seek the scriptures, study. And that has been the problem a million times over when people think they have the truth and I'm wrong on something. And they're, they don't study and they don't pray and they don't fast, but they just want to all of a sudden email me out of the blue with a great surprise with all kinds of false accusations against me and all kinds of false doctrines, not even giving me a chance to show them another Bible verse that makes it really clear and really simple and really easy. The truth is simple and clear-cut. Amen? But people don't want to study. And that's why I encourage people to study before they ask me questions. Amen? I won't always be here for you. But the Word of God will always be there for you in your heart, in your mind, he will write them in your heart. He will write them in your mind if you will read it and read it often enough and keep reading and keep reading and keep reading to get it ingrained and implanted in your heart and mind and brand it. The Word of God and His commandments need to become branded in your forehead and in your hands. Not only by hearing the Word of God, not only by receiving the Word of God, but also by doing the Word of God which is your hands. Your forehead is your reading, your hearing, your watching, your listening, and your worshiping in spirit. But your hands is what you do. You're not only a hearer, 
of the word of God, but a doer of the word of God. You're surrendering to God. You're keeping the commandments. You're gathering together at the appointed times and so forth. Amen. Thank you for listening today. And uh, we'll be gathering together again tomorrow for the seventh day of the month, or seventh day of the week, rather. So, I got to make up my mind now. Do I want more coffee and stay up or go back to bed? So that's a hard choice. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Have a wonderful day. Please be praying for the radio broadcast that starts a week from today. I've not recorded any of that. I've got to get that recorded. So please, please, please pray for that. Have a wonderful evening and a good night and a wonderful day. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.